hello and welcome once again to the Godcast. This week is the second half of my interview with award-winning author, humanist, satirist, James Morrow. Enjoy. I've been meaning to ask you, um, what other what other authors are in in your your genre writing in, in like uh, intelligent humanist themed fiction? I mean, Vonnegut's no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, who else? Yeah, Vonnegut would have been at the top of my list, and um, you know, while I I wear the mantle science fiction writer with some pride, uh, I do consider myself a satirist first um, and a science fiction writer second. But uh, yeah, we've lost Joseph Heller, and uh, you know, we lost Voltaire, we lost Mark Twain. Uh, those are the those are the big influences on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of fiction that I think is out there fighting the the good fight on behalf of secularism uh i do think of course of philip pullman's trilogy the dark his dark materials uh. um you know he's uh and what's wonderful about pullman's subversive project is that he's reaching young minds you know adolescents <laughs> are reading this stuff and they're and and they're being invited to consider that a religion is all made up and there is no afterlife. And in fact, if there were an afterlife, it would be a, a terrible it would be a terrible circumstance to find yourself in. Um, <laughs> there's uh, 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 the uh, recent book by uh, Rebecca Goldstein. Oh yes, the Thirty Six Arguments. Thirty Six Arguments for the Existence of God. Uh, that that's a formidable achievement, I think. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's pretty clear she's not buying the uh, uh, the God hypothesis. Um, she's much more sympathetic than I am to believers. In fact, uh, it you know most of the of the of the characters you warm up to in the book um, are not. Uh, are are not raving atheists like like the central character. Right. Um, uh, but that said, you know she 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 lays out very lucidly um, the thirty six arguments for the existence of God as she understands them, and then and then uh, deconstructs every one of them. And and uh, you know I think no no deities are left standing after the last page of of uh, thirty six arguments. She wrote a, 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 another wonderful book of philosophy I read years ago, or, or a novel about philosophy called The Mind-Body Problem, um, which, which certainly opened opened my eyes. I'm writing that uh, down. See, uh, 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 oddly enough, her uh, her husband, Steven Pinker, uh, recommended her book to, to me and a couple friends when he was, he was out here in Oklahoma, actually, uh, oh, for okay. a lecture, and uh, he said, you've got to check out my wife's book, and I've since read it. It's, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to send some of my fiction to to her. I guess are they uh, Stephen Pinker's at Harvard? I think. I, could... I believe so. I believe he yeah. runs some sort of cognitive with... lab out there. Yeah, I think I'll sneak a couple of a copy of Blameless and Abaddon into into Rebecca Goldstein's mailbox. Oh, absolutely. I mean, speaking of books that that have a bunch of uh, philosophical arguments in a fictional context, I mean, that's that's a short list of books right there that I can think of. <laughs> there's Blameless and Abaddon, and there, there's 36 <laughs> arguments. That's, there might there, there might be other books that do that, but I can't Yeah, I can't yeah, Blameless is um, uh, probably the one that's closest in spirit uh, to, to Goldstein's book. Um, and I like to think... That she would respond to it uh, for the benefit of our listeners. That's my sequel to Telling Jehovah, kind of a modern dress retelling 
of the book of Job, and uh, it, it dramatizes all of the traditional, conventional um, uh, rationalizations for <laughs> what some of us would call God's cruelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these explanations of the ways of God uh, to men, which have the formal name of uh, theodicy, as you, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I run through all the basic theodicies um, in the, in the format of a of a courtroom drama, and uh, give credence to some of them. But ultimately, um, I think it's clear that the author feels they don't hold water. Right. Um, it, it's important, you know, going back to Darwin, his uh, his secularism uh, was. And, and, and let's face it, his atheism uh, was not something that precipitated out of his discovery of the principle of natural selection. Mm-hmm. He was kind of of that mindset long before he, he imagined uh, be, this, this notion of descent with modification. Just from looking around the world, just from seeing all of the gratuitous pain, just from seeing all the meaningless suffering, including the the suffering he endured when uh, when he lost his beloved daughter Annie, um, and so I, I think while while I think Darwinism presents powerful powerful uh, ammunition for the atheist, as it were, I reserve uh, to the argument from evil, the supreme place in, in, uh, in my pantheon of, 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 of atheist philosophy. Um, I, I think the argument from evil, that's, that's the Mount Everest of this, of this vital conversation. Indeed. Uh, that's the one before which I have seen honest Christians crumble, and they simply say, yes, I don't have an answer for that. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to give up my faith, but right. I, I, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of people will retreat to the, well, you know, God has reasons. I don't know what they are, and we're, you know, yeah, we're just going to yeah. have to go with that. And of course, it's not really a reason. It's just sort of a, a mindset. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, but uh, yeah, the the answer to that being well, right out of the gate, you are claiming you know a lot about God. You're knowing, for example, that He has reasons. <laughs> For uh, for pointless suffering. That's, and, and that's really strange. Yeah, and reasons for not telling you what those reasons are, and reasons and reason for not for telling, not telling you that. You. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, it does go on. That's amazing. It's it's a variation on. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've encountered this, Damien. You know that the uh, believers, particularly those of a, of a of a angry stripe, will accuse the atheist of being morally ungrounded, of, of having absolutely no basis on which to live an ethical life. I have um, never heard that before. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and in uh, Rebecca Goldstein's 36 Arguments for the, for the Existence of God, is an answer to that that I'd never quite heard framed so eloquently before. Uh, and the argument, it, she puts it in the mouth of her, uh, of her, uh, her protagonist, uh, what's his name, Cass, Cass Seltzer, that, well... Okay, but you're either saying, or tell me this, are you saying God has no reasons for preferring that we not throw babies onto fires, or is it just, uh, or, or, uh, or does he have reasons why it's wrong 
to make innocent people suffer. And if he has reasons why it's wrong to make innocent people suffer, I'll just take those reasons, and we don't need God at all. (laughs) I'll go with those reasons, you know, because why should God's reasons not be something that he's willing to share with us? Uh, It's... um, Anyway, it's it's a bankrupt argument, but it does give atheists pause because it's 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 uh, it's been hard in the past. I think until Rebecca Goldstein articulated it so well, it's been hard in the past to answer the question. Well, don't you really uh, don't you fear that you're opening the door to chaos when you uh, when you line up with with the secular worldview? Mm. Yeah, because all of the atheists I know like immediately went on uh, rampages as soon as they realized what was up. Uh, which which brings me to Towing Jehovah. Uh, which, uh-huh. I'm going to get shot if we don't talk about the, the Godhead trilogy a bit. Uh, sure. You have in, in, in Towing Jehovah they find the the deceased corpse of uh, what looks like God the Father, two miles long, floating in the Pacific, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, you, you you bring in this theme, this recurring theme, this theothanatopsis, the idea of the corpse. How people uh, that are in contact with with the the realization that God is dead, they can't. They actually go kind of morally nuts. They go nihilist or something, <laughs> or, or or bacanal or whatever, however you want to describe their their behavior. They go a little mm-hmm. a little uh, hinky. So you, you actually play out in in the plot you know that this argument that if once we realize god is dead we're just gonna you know go for short-term pleasure not think about the consequences that that was uh for me inherent in the thought experiment or that's the way that's the way this demonstration uh played out i was a little surprised but i but i said to myself okay if i'm an honest man uh, like as ivan karamazov says if i'm an honest man maybe if we all of us believers and atheists alike, knew that there absolutely was nobody watching. If we really knew that, even though the culture continually insists that there is, but if we knew it for a fact, we might go a little crazy, or at least that intrigued me. Uh, But then, of course, people recover their moral compass uh, spontaneously or by thinking about Kant's notion of the, the categorical imperative, Kant's notion that you know you must never use a person as a means to an end. Kant's notion that there really is a sort of moral law uh, within within us uh, that, and it does not necessarily have have a divine origin. I would argue. I think for yeah. Kant it was a, that was almost a proof of of God. Um, so yeah, it, it's an aspect of the novel that some people find a little troubling. Uh, some atheists say, well. Well, you know, you're giving too much credence to uh, a Christian or particularly an evangelical uh, critique of atheism. But I thought, no, but who knows? You know, <laughs> no one can say for sure. So I thought I'd play with it, but then indeed uh, show that uh, God is by no means the sine qua non of, re- of morality. Right. Um, and as we know, and as my my feminist hero heroine Cassie keeps pointing out, you know, oh, contraire, God is often implicated and legitimately implicated in 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 much of the horror that we perpetrate on on each other. And, right. And, and if he exists, he has a lot to to answer for. Um, uh, what's that great line from? I think it's from Stendhal. Uh, God's only excuse is that he does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up. I um, yeah. it, 
in uh, in Toe and Jehovah, uh, I, I don't think it, it's right to say that you went too far in having people have this reaction. Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, Cassie doesn't. So the people who, are tr- who already believe that there's no God don't have this reaction. They've conditioned yeah. themselves yeah. to morality already. It's, right, the, it's right. the people who've been conditioned to the idea that you can only be moral if someone's watching. They're the ones that go yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That, that makes perfect sense to me. You know, uh, if, if you've been taught yeah, that morality that's... is nothing but obeying what's going on, you know, who's watching, then you've been taught a very naive morality. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you noticed that. I'd forgotten about that feature. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you also do something in that book which is possibly uh, unprecedented, in, in, and I can't think of anything quite like it. You have actual militant atheists, like no kidding <laughs> – Atheists who are not militant in the sense of rhetoric. They're literally militant. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I remember I was, I got a kick out of it when I came up with the idea that they would actually go into churches and put some kind of Darwinist tract, as I recall, in the, like in the pews or maybe even rip out Genesis chapter one and, and, and put in the origin of the species, something like that. In other words, the, the, you often hear that the reason we need to uh, de-secularize our society, the reason we need a, a, a kind of low-level, smiley-face, feel-good theocracy here on these American shores um, is that otherwise religion doesn't get equal time. <laughs> there must be equal time for God. So, uh, But my, my Central Park West Enlightenment League atheists guys, they figure out, oh, wait a minute, in churches, there doesn't seem to be equal time for Darwin going on. So, uh, wait, come on, you know, <laughs> if, we, if you want to level the playing field, let's, let's, let's level it all across the entire range of the playing field. Right. I, I do, uh, I do think it's interesting. How would, how would an atheist society react to a, a giant floating divine corpse? Would they feel disappointed <laughs> or vindicated? I, I don't know. It's, yeah, that was, that was the fun of the thought experiment. You know, I, I often say that Tony Jehovah is the novel in which I got to satirize my own worldview. I got to, I got to make fun of secularists. Uh, and, and so I'm pretty severe with many of them. Uh, and I suppose there is a fundamentalist version of atheism that uh, some people can be accused of, although I think that's the very least of the world's problems, <laughs> that, that there might be a couple of nasty and dogmatic atheists out there. Oh, come on. you know. <laughs> we haven't been exactly blowing uh, ourselves that, up over it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems to me they're they're causing a pretty minimal amount of mischief compared compared to the believers. Uh, but I did find myself intrigued by the fact that if if we knew that God's dead, Exhibit A being the two mile long cadaver, the Corpus Dei, ah, that means he once existed, and this would create some cognitive dissonance in the in the mind of the atheist. Like, okay, I guess our worldview is being called into question too. Mm-hmm. You know, the Christian worldview is called into question because God's supposed to be like immortal and eternal, and so while the Vatican wants to sweep it under the rug, so do some members of the of the Central Park West Enlightenment League. Um, you know, and I I think that's just because we're all human. We're all only human. You know. Uh, uh, the 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 atheists I I I respect and I respect almost all of them. You know the the, the Richard Dawkinses and the and the and the Daniel Dennett's um, don't uh, the Sam Harris's don't don't claim to have uh, a pipeline to the absolute. They they they're the first to say we're just people you know crawling around trying to be honestly curious about this world into which 
into which we've all been thrown. I, I, I love towing Jehovah, but it, it seems to me like a lot of people have said that Blameless and Abaddon is the masterwork. It's it's the you know the highlight of of the trilogy. Uh, I'm not personally on board there, but um, mm-hmm. but that's just because I had so much trouble getting through the emotional pain involved with uh, my love of the protagonist, and it's just it, you you brought home the problem of evil to such a level that I could barely get through it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. that's you know that's, a, that's uh, yeah. to your credit but oh <laughs> yeah it's it's not uh it's not a book that's to everyone's taste and uh uh i'm glad if the problem you had with it was that i was uh fairly skillful <laughs> in uh, rendering the pain of of my characters uh it's uh it, it's a bit dense with with theodicy, although I, I gather that was not your problem with it, um, but it didn't, it didn't find the same uh, fairly large audience that, that Towing Jehovah did. Really? That's, that's uh, interesting. It's, yeah. it's very uh, highly, highly reviewed. I read a lot of reviews where people were like, wow, and it's really... Um, I, I, and I, I thought it, it followed... Well, in some sense, it, it, it's a great extension of the the idea of uh, the floating corpse of god uh towing jehovah ma- made perfect sense to me and i was wondering what you you know what are you going to do with that next and what you did next <laughs> was you you put god in the dock now was that your plan all along because the metaphor is too perfect <laughs> oh you mean the pun on the word dock right right I, you, you put him in the dock in every sense no believe it or not damien i never never thought of that before uh, there's a there is a c.s lewis book um, right right uh that that pathetic excuse for a thinker c.s lewis wrote a book called god god in the dock right um you know when i sold the trilogy to uh they were then called harcourt brace um i uh i had sample chapters for telling jehovah and a pretty tight outline i don't think i saw blameless and abaddon as uh, a courtroom drama that that would uh, thrash out this this problem of God's guilt. Uh, it was the original title was Terra Incognita, and I think all I had in mind was my characters going inside the brain of God and having adventures in this surrealistic landscape. And it it only became uh, a modern dress version of the book of Job in the in the composition process. So you're asking a good question. I mean, it, it, it's huh. something I I stumbled into. But yeah, I, I'd have to say it is it is one of my favorite <laughs> James Morrow novels. It's the one in which I think I got the most ideas and yet kept it pretty dramatic and entertaining at the same at the same time. Yeah, I, I intend to go back and reread the whole trilogy and I'm uh, part of the point of this uh episode uh, is to get the the book club on board with that because they don't they don't realize that there's good fiction out there they've been relentlessly chewing through nonfiction and i need to get them onto uh something that's a bit more uh stimulating in every way yeah yeah and and i you know i'm sure they won't be i think i think they will be amused by um the fact that in towing jehovah uh i i, I take um a sardonic view of some of the atheists uh but you know, as, as as I sometimes say, you know, when when you're a novelist, when you're a satirist, nothing is sacred, not even atheism. Right on. Um, but <laughs> and and I've 
I've been so pleased to interact a bit with the atheist community. I was at the, there was a gathering about two years ago in Crystal City, Virginia, uh, where a, a Philadelphia woman I've become friends with named Margaret Downey managed to get not only Christopher Hitchens to show up, but Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett and, mm. and Richard Dawkins and, and several other people yeah. uh, who, who would be considered superstars of the movement. And, and, um, you know, I was just delighted with the tone of it. And Margaret Downey, she was the head of the AAI, right? The Atheist Alliance International? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. our parent yeah. organization. We're a, a state chapter, a local affiliate. And that was an amazing conference they put together. They got everybody on, uh, and then they put it up on YouTube. Yeah, I need to, there's a lot, as I do the final round of sort of research and energy gathering for my Darwin novel, there's a lot of stuff I want to look at on the internet, uh, gather there's a great conversation among Harris and and Hitchens and and Dawkins and Dennett with Harris more or less moderating and mm, yeah google uh, the four horsemen it's it is available uh, on the internet oh it's called the four horsemen just google four horsemen okay that's what yeah, we're talking about this. maybe video and, uh, maybe something with video because uh, yeah, there's a the conversation where all four of them are around a table literally around a table we didn't talk about the Eternal Footman at all. Uh, I want to give people a sense of, of what that's about. I mean, in Towing Jehovah, the problem is what to do with the corpse. In Blameless and Abaddon, the, the problem is, you know, you know, I guess, again, it's what, what shall we put him on trial? Shall we go through his head? And, and, oh, my God, he's a Platonist, you know. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, the, the Eternal Footman presents the world with the problem of... Uh, the, the, the final remnant of God, the memento mori, is the, is the gigantic cranium. Mm. God's immense skull is in the sky like a, like a second moon. And uh, this causes a, a kind of plague of despair uh, to shroud the globe, uh, a kind of pestilence, a pestilence that's keyed to death awareness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 just uh, takes over, infects the the whole world, and um, the uh, you know I, I it's perhaps the least successful of the books, but I had I I still was able to to cram a lot into it. It's the one in which I I challenged myself to go beyond simply a, an atheist or, or humanistic vision into. Um, uh, what what a non uh, what a non theistic world might look like? What what would a uh, a humanist utopia actually uh, comprise? Or not a utopia, but simply a world in which uh, it it you know we finally know for a fact that reality is not the product of a of a supernatural person like creator god it it has other sorts of origins uh so that was quite a challenge you know i, I guess um uh you know I, I i i think i ended up presenting uh suggesting a functional society as i recall uh, my heroine nora travels into the future and sees and sees this world and it's it's pretty benign she also goes to a to a kind of new age <laughs> dystopia that's that's less that's far less benign. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I'm surprised you gave away those details, but that's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to, you know, to whet the appetite of of the listeners to you know, to all of these these books, uh, because you know, as we've seen, there's just not a whole lot. Uh, whereas the Christians seem to have an, an incredible array of of direct fiction out there, uh, which is you know, with all their Jesus figures and whatnot. And, um, uh, I feel like that the humanists they they don't have nearly as much to choose from, but the stuff that's out there is fantastic. You've named some great authors and you've described your work, so I think that our book club's going to be way better off here in the uh, in the short term. We're going to get to do some good stuff. Well, that's great. I'm I'm feel like I've performed a public service. That's very gratifying. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I guess I just had, had one other question, and this is just a curiosity. When you come up with little bits of uh, uh, fictional bits of fiction, like you've come, like, like Thomas Ockham writes his parables for a post-theistic age, mm-hmm. or, or, um, or, or some of the, the plays that were, um, that were written by, oh, goodness me, was it Cassie? Cassie, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you come up, you come up with these titles, and I'm thinking, are these are these things that you were hoping to write at some point, or <laughs> that you, are these allusions to something you did write as a short story at some point? Um, good, good question. Uh, in fact, um, when uh, the Godhead trilogy was released by a uh, in a in a specialty slipcase edition uh, by a small press called Dimension House. In fact, I'm walking up to this uh, to this incarnation of the Godhead trilogy right now. Um, if I can find my way through my messy house, uh, we um, we included a bonus volume of the three plays. And um, oh, they don't seem to be inside the slipcase. Anyway, the the uh, I actually did have to. Uh, to write one of the plays really? that uh, that Cassie merely talks about, that in fact that that did not exist, um, and um, that that made like a great sort of bonus for my uh, for my readers. But the other two were um, were plays that that I think the titles are different, but they do but they do correspond to. Um, Let's see. We're looking for it. Okay. Is it from the the Bible Stories collection? The Bible Bible Stories for Adults. My my wife just found it. Yeah, it's it's a little book, weirdly rare book. It's called the Godhead Trilogy: Reflections and Refractions. Oh, I've still got to get and, this now. <laughs> yeah, you can maybe find it on the internet. And there's a long essay in which I talk about what I tried to accomplish in the. Uh, uh, in the trilogy, and then we get three plays: one called "God Without Tears," which uh, is a play that Kathy talked about having written, I think, uh-huh. uh, possibly under another, another title. Though it's um, it's a critique of the plagues of Egypt and a couple of Egyptian women talking about what they suffered at the hands of the Hebrew God. There is. Um, a play called The Rematch, which um, is a uh, itself like my first attempt at a modern dress retelling of the Book of Job, yes. many years ago. And then there's and then there's the play that I wrote just for this volume. It's called Moon Over Gethsemane, hmm. um, and uh, it it corresponds to a play that 
that uh, Kathy, Cassie wrote under another title. But you can find, the good news is you can find Moon Over Gethsemane on my website. Oh, good. I decided to make that available. Since, since this um, Dimension House edition of the trilogy is out of print, it was fine with the editor for me to, when I posted it. I should, I should go ahead and plug your website. It'll be linked from the blog, but I should go ahead and okay, put good. it out there right yeah. now. It yeah. is... Um, uh, the best way to get to my website uh, is simply jamesmorrow.net. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and uh, and then under links, you'll find this thing called Moon Over Gethsemane, um, and it's a one-act play that supposedly was written by <laughs> by Kathy. Right on. And uh, and uh, I think it's fun. I've never seen a, a production of it. Um, I have seen the other two plays produced off off Broadway. For real? Oh, that is so cool. So someday I'll have to start to circulate it, and maybe try to get Samuel French to publish it or something like that. And possibly there'll be a production of this little, this little piece bien fait. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Tell your wife sorry sure. that, I t- that we took so long. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, I've enjoyed it immensely. You've got me. You've got me energized and galvanized to go back to the word processor and continue composing my Darwin novel. Yes, we're all eagerly awaiting 2012. But, uh, not, not for the reasons that some people are, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, right. this has been fun. Let's do it again sometime. This podcast is a production of the Oklahoma Atheist, an organization dedicated to developing a community of like-minded individuals who share the ideas of free and critical thinking and as opposed to the uncritical acceptance of faith-based ideas and norms. Our activities include dinner meetups, potlucks, family outings, debates, speeches, book clubs, volunteer opportunities, and political events and protests. We welcome all who share the ideals of critical thinking and who reject religious dogma. In addition to cultivating the community, we wish to contribute and put a face with all positive things non-believers and people with a secular viewpoint are doing in the world. If you'd like to know more, please visit us online at www.oklahomaatheist.com.